Welcome to the Remington Podcast, where we take a deep dive into all things ammunition. I'm your host, Audrey Mays, and today we're sitting down with the founder of Blood Origins, Dr. Robbie Kroger. Blood Origins is a wildlife conservation fundraising organization that focuses on the heart of hunting. Robbie and his team have spent years gathering stories and truths about human interaction with wildlife, and the stories that Blood Origins has been able to share with the world are truly inspiring. Let's meet Dr. Robbie Kroger. Robert, you're um, from Blood, Blood Origins. You're the founder yeah, of Blood founder Origins. founder of Blood Origins, yeah. yeah. Um, can you tell me about what you guys do and what your mission is? Simple. Conveying the truth about hunting. That is our mission. That is the mission statement. It's the mission statement that we have to give to the IRS. <laughs> it is uh, what we do. And it's when we converted ourselves into a 501c3 nonprofit. So we're a public charity now. And it's the business model that allowed us to expand, allowed us to sort of create what we do and that is we just create content in the social media world that's where we live Mm -hmm. Uh, we may expand in the future in the next probably 12 months into more of the written space more of the article rebuttal opinion Mm -hmm. um, blog style space Mm -hmm. I feel like we haven't touched that at all yet and I feel like there's a lot of room there Um, and if we if we have the right people doing the work with us um, that we can dominate certain spaces, especially if, you know, in, in the internet world, you know, you type in hunting and wolves in Colorado, right. what's going to come up first in the SEO, in the Google search engine? The proposition probably. Yeah, <laughs> but we would like eventually, mm-hmm. oh, here's an article, a blog post by Blood Origins mm-hmm. about it. And someone clicks it because we're number one. Right. You want or number SEO. two or number three. Mm-hmm. That's where we want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually if you say, well, what's the, our ultimate goal? Our ultimate goal is one day, not so far in the distance, in the distant future, is that if anything happens around hunting in the world, I want people to turn to us mm-hmm. and say, oh, what's Robbie saying about it? What's Blood Origin saying about it? As a source of information? As a source of truth. Mm-hmm. As a source of like, because we're not, I'm not going to, you know, not say when something is really bad around hunting. Mm-hmm. I'm okay saying it. Like, that's wrong. Right. Shouldn't be doing that. Hey, we shouldn't be hunting. Right. If the population's that low, quit hunting, guys. Mm-hmm. Or it shouldn't be that easy to harvest that many animals. Or, or whatever, yeah. right? We're mm-hmm. not going to shy away from, we're not going to be, we, we say this constantly, we do not put hunting on a pedestal. We mm-hmm. don't put hunting, is hunting is not the panacea to wildlife management, to wildlife conservation. It's just a tool in the toolbox for wildlife conservation in the future. Mm-hmm. That's it. And if 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 it works, phenomenal, great. That's it. It does very well in, in lots of places around the world. But there's also places around the world that it doesn't work, mm-hmm. and it doesn't need to be brought in to be utilized in a management wildlife management fashion. And so that's where we want to be. We want to be at this place where, hey, what happens, you know example A or B or C around the world happens and when you start looking for information immediately we are there Mm -hmm. like you want to see it there's a YouTube video there's an Instagram post there's a blog written or there's already an opinion rebuttal pushed forward because we're not we're not a very big bureaucratic beast of a of a non-profit we're very small I'm the only sort of paid employee of the non-profit and that's how we want to stay. Mm-hmm. We want to stay super nimble. Something happens in Australia tonight. 
we can respond tomorrow. Right. And, and be really confident in what we say. We say it in a very respectful manner. We say it in a very gentlemanly way, mm-hmm. but we are, it's full of facts. It's full of science. Very educated. It's very educated. Mm-hmm. And it's very, um, a friend of our, of, of Blood Origins hates me saying this, but I say it's very middle of the road as well. Mm-hmm. It's very just like, hey, we look at this side and we look at this side and we talk about both. We don't just like heavily lean mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a right or a left kind of scenario. It's a very middle-of-the-road approach to what we do. Right. Yeah, and so that's Blood Origins. It started five years ago, six years ago as this idea of mine. I had two small boys, and I wanted them to understand hunting. I was just getting into hunting as well at that point. And so I needed to understand hunting, and I wanted to understand, like, your heart. Like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Am I doing it because I enjoy killing things? Do you hunt because you like killing things or is there more to it? Right. And so I looked at outdoor television. I looked at outdoor media and I couldn't find anyone talking about their heart. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I, – all, I didn't see any of like the big – and not not uh, not to be saying this in a, in a sexist comment way, but the it's a very male-dominated industry. It is, yeah. And I didn't see any of these males mm-hmm. – being vulnerable or being emotional, or being super transparent, because that's not what's you know you're supposed to be as right. a man, like right? Excited, woo! I just killed this thing, you know, and yeah. and, and there's no <clears throat> sorry, there's no background or explanation of why or there's no depth. Where to did it. this come from? Right? There's mm-hmm. no depth to it. There's no layering to it. And I was like, man, I wish people would talk more about that mm-hmm. because I would learn. What I was trying to find, like what I was seeking. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just decided to build it. And so we just started talking about people's hearts. Like we would interview you, Audrey, your heart. Like why do you hunt? And mm-hmm. then we happened to, you know, come across some really famous hunters that were keen to do it as well. Like Jim Shockey and Will Primos and Cuz Strickland. Mm-hmm. But then Joe Blows, like Joanna Dart, who nobody knows, is a South Korean adoptee who lives in, you know, Detroit, Michigan. Right. And so we told everybody's stories. It didn't matter who you were. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't, because, <laughs> because in the journey of me asking people for money, mm-hmm. so I'd be, I'm sure you get approached and Joel gets approached a thousand times a week. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've got this great hunting show. <laughs> you should partner with me. Yeah. You should support me. Mm-hmm. You should give me money. I was one of those. Mm-hmm. And everyone said no to me. Yeah. You got to hustle. And I just said, well, I'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. I just used my own savings account. And my wife said to me three and a half years later, she was like, look, I love your passion for what you're doing, but I want my savings account back. Sure. Like, you've got to make this sustainable this year. Otherwise, you're done. Mm-hmm. We're out. Yeah. Go back to your normal job. And uh, we made it sustainable. And then we turned ourselves into a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And then that was it off to the races and then off to the races in terms of the content we could create as well it wasn't just about the stories of someone's heart which we still do today I think we're at like number 78 or number 79 that's awesome Um, but we now do all sorts of things obviously we have a podcast obviously we do now documentaries we're in the talking headspace people value our opinion so they want to hear from us like what do you think about this what do you think about that Mm -hmm. why are you going to say something about that are you going to say something about that and then just amplify it around the world 
Like mm-hmm. my phone, when, you know, I'm one of those people, I don't know what kind of person you are. I didn't see your phone earlier, but the fact that there are red dots on this phone. Oh, that gives me anxiety. It's fine. So same as me. <laughs> same as me. Okay. We're in the same boat. Uh-huh. There's two types of people in this world. People that have no red dots on their phone mm-hmm. and those that have like 10,000 unread emails. Mm, that's not me. No. No. So when I wake up in the morning, that's my phone looks like there's a, hundreds of red dots. Mm-hmm. Because you think of it a way of how to get us, and we're not hard to find. Right. People are reaching out mm-hmm. through those mechanisms. Well, that's good, though. I mean, oh, you it's did great. A complete 180, yeah. It's great, but it's also like 24 7, 365. Yeah. I'm not complaining at all. I just, my, my struggle today is like balance. Oh, yeah. Like switching off and saying, okay, I'm just, I'm gonna take the day off. Mm-hmm. It's a Sunday. Am I allowed to take Sunday off? Let me go <laughs> spend time with my kids. Right. Versus, you know, fighting with someone over social media. Yeah. I mean, passion projects end up kind of being your life, don't they? Well, this one did, mm-hmm. which was awesome. Like I turned my passion project into a job. A career. Yeah. A career. Mm-hmm. Which is just starting, which is crazy. Just starting. Y'all three are, years. I mean, you just showed me a video of all that what's to come mm-hmm. and it looks insane. So it's I'm, insane. Yeah, I'm so excited for yeah, you guys. And that's just what we did in the last 12 months. Like we've got a stacked calendar for the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. So we're going to film that plus something in the next 12 months. Right. So it's just bigger stories, more people. You know, just you know, finding better, better stories, finding more impact, finding more benefits, finding more consequences, mm-hmm. and just showcasing that, telling more of that story. Mm-hmm. I think that the um, personal aspect is super important in these stories, though, as well. I and you have plenty of that kind of content, obviously, but I think that that the personal stories and the personal relations is what really gets people to interact with your brand and interact with, you know, what you're trying to do. Um, what is your story behind hunting? Mm. So I only started hunting when I came to the States. Mm-hmm. I hunted doves and pigeons once with my father, my grandfather in a little uh, a town called uh, Brackpan in Johannesburg, South Africa, just outside of Johannesburg, South Africa. Mm-hmm. That was when I was 16. Never shot a shotgun before in my life. My dad showed me how to do it. It was a double trigger. He, he allowed me to shoot three doves off the fence that had landed. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is how you aim. Okay, you got three. Okay, from now on, only flying birds. Okay. And so, yeah, it was a great little experience, but I never really truly got hunting. My family, though, is steeped, steeped, steeped in hunting heritage. Like mm-hmm. my grandfather lived the mecca of two hunting paradises that this world had to offer. One in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, he was in Russia, Siberia, northern China. He hunted white-eared pheasants in Tibet. Like he hunted that whole scene as a professional hunter, but then also like a hunter-gatherer at one point when the war was at its height. Mm -hmm. Like he was just going into the woods and finding meat for his family and friends kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then he immigrated to Mozambique in 1954 and lived the heyday, like the Teddy Roosevelt heyday of Africa, Mm 50s, 60s, up to 74 when Mozambique went through a revolution. And so... My grand, like my father's birthday, 16th birthday present in Mozambique from my grandfather was a Cape Buffalo. Wow. So they did it all. They had incredible times in the bush. And they, like my dad was the camp boy. Like they would go to the bush for two and a half weeks. And my dad's job was to shoot an impala every other day for fresh liver for breakfast. Mm-hmm. 
and camp rations and stuff. But when I grew up, there was nothing. There was no, we lived in Johannesburg, which is, you know, eight and a half million people. Um, didn't grow up around hunting. We were, I grew up in the generation of my father, my grandfather, that was like kids were to be seen, not heard. Mm. So you never got like regaled with stories of them being charged by elephants or hippos, you know, overturning their boat in the middle of the river at night when they're just five sheets to the wind drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got it all written. Like my grandfather was a phenomenal writer. So I got all that written stories and I've still got them today. And so I just never thought about hunting. I never missed hunting. It just it wasn't a part of my life. Just like the, probably 60% of the world that we speak to through Blood Origins has no idea about hunting. They really don't have an opinion about hunting. They might have seen something in the news or social media that might might have moved them into a slightly negative perception around hunting or opposite, slightly positive perception around hunting, which is what our job is, is to move someone into the slightly positive perception. Right. And so I arrived in Mississippi in 2003 to do a PhD. Mm-hmm. And I met a six foot five, 260 pound redneck who was like, do you like to hunt? And I was like, I don't know. I, I think I do. <laughs> he says, well, you need to go get your hunter's education. So I got my hunter's education. And once I got that, he was like, all right, let's go deer hunting. He gave me a chair, sort of lawn chair, stuck me under a cedar tree mm-hmm. uh, in front of a, a pile of of illegal uh, oh, bait yeah. way back in the day. And... Um, he said, if something walks by, shoot it. Uh-huh. Just if a deer walks by, shoot, shoot it. it. Okay. Shoot it. Mississippi. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, funnily enough, he gave me a 308, semi-automatic 308. Mm-hmm. Never shot a semi-automatic. And he was like, look, you have to be real quiet. So ease that mechanism forward. So I ease that mechanism forward. And this was literally, I think, my first ever hunt. Mm-hmm. And so nothing happened that morning. So I, w- I got up out where I was and I walked around this dam. I was like on the one side of the dam and I walked around the dam onto the backfield. And then as you went from the backfield to the next field, it was like a narrowing of a road. And as I got closer to the road, a buck stepped out. Mm-hmm. And knowing today what I know now, if I applied it then, it was probably a 120, 130 class buck. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was an, it was an incredible buck. Yeah. I was like, oh, hey, I lifted the gun up. I was so close that when I pulled the trigger and the trigger went click, the buck lifted his head and looked at me and ran away. Oh, no. And I was like, what the hell? What happened to the gun? Uh-huh. Is your safety on? No. It clicked. It fired. Just a misfire? And so I walked up to him. He goes, oh, what did you see? And I was like, well, I saw nothing sitting there, but I just missed a buck. Mm-hmm. He was like, what? And I had to explain to him the same story. And I said, but this gun doesn't work. He's like, what? He opened the chamber, pulled the bullet out, puts the same bullet back in, racks it forward, aims at his target, pulls the trigger, gun goes off. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. He's like, what did you do? And I said, well, you told me when I got in the stand, I just need to like ease the mechanism forward. And he was like, oh, that's what you did wrong. So when I eased it forward, I didn't actually seat it. Oh, okay. It must have had like a millimeter or two millimeters of space Mm -hmm. because I didn't go whack. I just went, just eased it and held it, you know, Uh because I didn't know. Yeah. And that was the beginning of my uh, sort of, what what do they call it? Obsession? No, not obsession. Is it maladies? 
you know, sort of run of bad luck when it comes to hunting. Oh yeah. I have a lot of those stories now. Your series of unfortunate events. It's very much like <laughs> m- multiple misses, multiple no misfires, um, multiple like sitting in the same stand for days on end, not seeing anything, and saying, "Okay, I'm switching stands," and the next person who sits in that stand sees an animal right away and mm-hmm. kills it. That's me. I'm a very unlucky hunter. Well, you're stuck with it. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my journey. And then from there, we just started, you know, we did what we typically do in Mississippi and hunt deer and a little bit of turkeys, a little bit of ducks, mm-hmm. uh, but deer were it. Um, then got, you know, a real job and earned a little bit of money and started exploring a little bit more. Went to Colorado, tried to elk hunt, wasn't successful. Um, I know all about that. And then we, <laughs> that's what you told me. And then just started turkey hunting more and turkey hunting in different places. And yeah, then I started, you know, again, having a little bit more money, a little bit more resource and went to Argentina and killed that buffalo down there. Um, went to the Northern Territory, killed that buffalo over there. That's crazy. And so now, you know, it's everyone's like, oh man, Robert, you get to hunt everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't get to hunt at all anymore. Do you just film people hunting? We film because I'm I'm just constantly in my brain thinking like it's just content, 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 content for me mm-hmm. versus like, man, you're in these awesome places all around the world. Why don't you just take you've, – you've worked two weekends in a row, two weeks in a row. Why don't you just take three days and hunt? Right. Yeah. And balance your life and, and don't forget what you're fighting for. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to do more of that. Oh, that's good. You have to enjoy it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you enjoy oh, the content captures. The, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like, the people and the relationships uh-huh. and the places we get to see. But then also like, okay, hey, someone's offering. Let me take you hunting. Mm-hmm. Just say yes. Right. Just say yes. Yeah. Because it's, it's such an experience to get to hunt with another person too. It's a it's such a, it's a social mm-hmm. event almost even. And. I mean, the, the people that you go on these hunting trips with that are, it's painful. It's almost like the more pain, the more connection you have with that other person. I don't person. know. Sometimes. Like, I'm not into that whole pain game. Really? No, not yet. You are. I am. Yeah, you know, nine <laughs> days in the backcountry of Colorado. Dang, yeah. man. Yeah, I haven't done, like that Ardad hunt was the only real pain, but we stayed in the cabin at night. And, mm-hmm. um, and the Northern Territory Australia trip wasn't pain. Well, we went up a river for two and a half days and then came back down the river. Mm-hmm. But it was summer and we slept in hammocks and mm-hmm. bathed in the river and with freshwater crocodiles. It was that's that crazy. Was, see, that's that's my kind of adventure. Yeah, like I don't want like monstrous mountains and yeah. I can do it, mm-hmm. but I'd prefer like a like a crazy like Northern Territory of Australia where there was nobody. Literally, mm-hmm. like. Somebody said when we killed the buffalo we killed, he said we were eight miles east of the middle of nowhere. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> Just nowhere. Yeah. Like you knew there wasn't another soul for 50-mile uh-huh. radius around you, 100-mile radius around you. I didn't even know that you could get that in Africa. Not in Africa. I'm sorry. Where did you say you were? Northern Territory of Australia. Oh, Australia. Northern mm. Territory of Australia. I'm mm. sorry. Um, I thought that the only part of Earth that you could get that in at this point was Alaska. What's that? Just being somewhere where you know that there's oh. nobody for hundreds of miles. Northern Territory of Australia is millions and millions and millions of acres of nothing. Really? Nothing. Except beautiful bush, lots of things that will kill you. Mm-hmm. 
and animals you can hunt. I have to ask about the spiders up there. They'll kill you. They're, are they like nine what of you see in the YouTube you don't, videos? Oh, you don't see them, but they're dangerous. Super dangerous. And then the snakes are worse. Mm-hmm. Nine of the ten most venomous snakes in the world are in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's like everything on the planet that is the worst they just put in Australia. Yeah, because the environment is like... So there's a snake called a taipan. Mm-hmm. One of the nine. Okay. There's an inland taipan, which is the normal taipan. Mm-hmm. Then you've got taipans on islands called coastal taipans. Okay. That are like 300... So that normal taipan is... Deadly. Okay. You get bitten, you're done. Uh-huh. The coastal taipan, the one on the islands, is 300 times more venomous. Than that one? Than that one. And here's why. Their, their species of prey that they go after is birds. Uh-huh. So when they smack a bird, birds, unlike a rodent, that if you smack it and you envenomate it, it's going to run somewhere and a snake's sense of smell can find it. Can find it. Mm-hmm. When you bite a bird, a bird's going to fly away. You're not going to see it anymore. Mm-hmm. So they need a venom so strong that when they envenomate that bird, it literally just dies on point. Dead. That's crazy. That's so, but no, yeah. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd love it. You know, it's it's such a and there's but the you know you come up to like little canyons or little cliff faces and there's you know Aboriginal rock art that nobody's ever seen before. Like mm-hmm. We found rock art that nobody's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it, based on where we found it. Mm-hmm. We were the first white men to watch to see it. That is so cool. <laughs> I think that's the coolest story I've ever heard. No. I think so. Oh, then you're not around very exciting people. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. But I that mean, was one of my cool th- I wanted to do that. Like I said to the guys, like, where haven't you been on this property? Mm-hmm. Because we haven't gone up this river. And you have, to be, you have to be next to a river. Otherwise, there's no water. Right. And so you're filtering all the water out the river, but you just stay on the river. And, and there's just like these little gorges and whatnot. And we just explored them. Mm-hmm. And this one that we found, it was like just, that's probably the probably double the size of this room in terms of how high the little clip was Mm -hmm. but there was like a little overhang that went back like in this corner and if you didn't purposely like go in it and look up on the ceiling you wouldn't have found it but you looked up on the ceiling there was a bunch of rock art that is so and you're like holy smokes yeah hunting and exploring wild spaces are only a fraction of the big picture Robbie has made huge strides in highlighting the connection between the amazing scenery and hunting traditions and the humans that carry this torch. Blood Origins focuses on the soul and heritage of hunting, fishing, and trapping while paying attention to wildlife conservation and the effects of these practices. I asked Robbie to share some of the impactful stories that he's heard. I want to know a story that someone has told you that has really hit you like hit home for you Mm. it's just like we we get privileged to be to listen to like so many freaking stories oh yeah like everywhere around the world Mm -hmm. um there's stories like i think the most impactful if i can remember because it just happened recently so when i go i go to south africa every year after thanksgiving Mm -hmm. because 
what the, the professional hunters associations in South Africa have their annual general meetings, their AGMs. Okay. And you'll start in South Africa, then you'll go to Zimbabwe, and then you'll go to Namibia. They have them back to back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And the one in South Africa is called, there's two hunting organizations in South Africa, one called FASA, which is the Professional Hunters Association of South Africa. And then there's one called Custodians, the okay. Custodians and Professional Hunters of South Africa. The Custodians, uh, at the Custodians event, the, every year, for the last two years, they've hosted this Legends Campfire, which is essentially old-timers, old hunters that have been in the industry for 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. We put them on stage and we interview it just like a podcast. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I've been asked to be the MC of that event. So I've got to engage with these guys and, and sort of their funny stories and then their really like sad, impactful stories. Mm-hmm. And so last year, the final question I asked these guys was like, can you tell a story like that you were like, wow, I don't know what's going to happen to me mm-hmm. or to someone else in this story. Mm-hmm. And the first guy talked about, he was a helicopter pilot and he talked about how he had been radioed that a ranger had gone in and found poachers and had ambushed the poachers and a gunfight broke out and one of the rangers got shot and he needed to be medevaced. He needed to be airlifted out like ASAP. Mm-hmm. And so Howard took his helicopter up, flew over there, landed next to the guy and he was shot up like really badly, just bleeding everywhere. And they'd done their best to like put bandages on him and whatnot. And Howard's helicopter had no doors on it. Okay. Because they had been doing a bunch of like rhino darting operations. Mm -hmm. And so they threw the guy in the back of the helicopter for for Howard to start taking off. And as he started taking off, the rotor wash that came into the cab, like picked up all the blood on the guy and literally splattered blood everywhere in the cab as he was taking off. And he said it was just like he had no idea if the guy was going to live or die Uh because there was just literally blood everywhere. On the inside of his windshield, whatnot, so he had to wipe it down. So he could see. Yeah, it was, uh, and he was also looking outside of his window. So that was the first story. And the second story, this guy started talking about how he was on a hunt and with clients, and they were going off to Cape Buffalo. They had wounded a Cape Buffalo, and things went south on the track job. And this guy, John Ersthazen, got mixed up with a buffalo and the buffalo got him mm-hmm. and started goring him and started like moving him around and tossing him in the air. And when he landed, the buffalo would come back on him and he didn't know where he was and he didn't know. He could feel himself like, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. I'm literally going to die with this buffalo. He had accepted it. And what he remembered, he remembered like just putting his head back and his eyes open and he saw his tracker come up next to him like this and take the gun and literally wait for the buffalo to like lift his head off because <laughs> he was goring him like this. On him. Mm-hmm. On him. And as he lifted his head up to look opposite, the tracker put the gun barrel like right behind the buffalo's head and shot the buffalo and killed him immediately. And the the saddest part about that story was that John had like literally owed his life to his tracker. Mm-hmm. And his tracker had died like three weeks before he told us this story. Oh, my gosh. And he was breaking down. Like, literally, he was reliving the whole, like, Buffalo experience in front of us. Mm-hmm. Like, crying. And it was like you could – it was a pin drop you could hear in the in the whole place. Right. Um, so, yeah, we, those are, you know, 
it's those are the kinds of stories we get told and mm-hmm. you know people just you know we get to film people's stories that you know how hunting has changed their lives like right you know we took a guy that got blown up by an IED in Afghanistan he's got two you know, prosthetics. Mm -hmm. And I walked him through the sort of sticky red Georgia clay for two days, seven miles and eight miles the next day. And to him was the best thing he's ever done. Mm -hmm. And like he was keeping up with me, like in the field. And to him, like that was cathartic. It was like, this is his stress relief. This is the thing that, you know, he got away from the the whole PTSD associated with being blown up and war and all those kinds of things. So, Mm Yeah, it's we're very. We, I feel like we're in a very, very privileged place to listen, to hear, mm-hmm. you know, to expose because that's really what we do a little bit. It's from a storytelling perspective, is expose people's hearts and mm-hmm. tell them to be get get them a little rawer than they would normally, right? Be willing to do so, show their vulnerabilities a little bit. Yeah, vulnerabilities. Yeah, their you know authentic self mm-hmm. and sort of, and sometimes you have to put them back in the situation that I want to be in and relive right. that, that day or that moment or that story. And, mm-hmm. mm. Yeah. That's like such a privilege that they share that with you. Yeah. That's awesome. And we get to film it and then we get <laughs> to, you know, and I think the other thing that we, I never realized at the beginning of this journey was that we're almost immortalizing people. Oh yeah. And we've had three people, maybe four at the stage that have died mm-hmm. and we've got their film. Like we've got the only content probably of them. Right, ever. Ever. Mm-hmm. Like Miss Bonnie Ellis, uh, she was 91 when we filmed her in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. She came in a full army getup, full army dress, her uh, dog tags mm-hmm. around her way, around her, um, around her neck. And Miss Bonnie Ellis in 1943 was 18 years old was the height of austerity measures in America, was the height of World War II in America. And Aberdeen, South Dakota was a hub, a train hub for sending soldiers to Chicago. And then they were getting on boats in Chicago and and sending them over to Europe. Mm -hmm. And uh, Miss Barney was a server in the canteen. There was a canteen that Aberdeen set up that served pheasant sandwiches to all the soldiers that came into Aberdeen. It's a famous story. Like if you fly to Aberdeen, South Dakota, on the opening day of pheasant season, mm-hmm. every year, they will serve you, they will give you a free pheasant sandwich as you enter the airport. Oh, that's awesome. Exit the airport. Mm-hmm. And so Miss Bonnie was the only woman still alive. It was an all-woman-run canteen and the trains would stop, the soldiers would get off the trains and they would be fed cookies, tea, I think coffee and these pheasant sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And the Fish and Wildlife Service, the game department said, you can shoot as many pheasants as you wanted if it was going to sandwich making. Mm-hmm. Uh, the farmers like pooled their gas, they pulled their shotgun shells to essentially feed the army. And so Miss Bonnie's uh, brother died in World War II as she was doing this work in the pheasant canteen. Mm-hmm. And then she decided to enlist herself. So she'd be enlisted as a nurse mm-hmm. and then she came through Aberdeen on the, on the train to get her own pheasant sandwich. But we interviewed all the ladies, all the ladies, including Miss Bonnie that had, were like kids. They were like 11 year old, 12 year old, 13 year old kids, like running around mm-hmm. helping their mothers 
Okay. With the pheasant canteen. Yeah. Yeah. Who we were filmed full them. grown. Yeah, people. they were 60, 70 year old ladies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah we called it, you want to look it up, it's called Living Legacy. Okay. Living Legacy. I mm-hmm. like that. That's a, that's a, but we've got that really story. Like we've, story. Miss Barney yeah. has passed. Mm-hmm. And so we've got pictures and video of Miss Barney that nobody has. Right. That, that maybe no one has ever taken. Yeah, you know? Here's the crazy thing. Here's the absolute like, and nobody will pick it up. They may when they watch this. So we there's a little trailer of Living Legacy. Uh-huh. And whilst we were filming it, a train came into the station. It's a museum now, right? But it's, it's still an active railway line. Uh-huh. And we have Miss Bonnie like, you've got this shot of her looking out the window and we're filming it from the right-hand side and the train comes in from the left. Mm-hmm. What do you think the train's number was that came in? I have no idea. 1776. No way. 1776. That's crazy. It was amazing. Like, we didn't know it at the time, but only once we looked at the footage, we're like, and she's just like this stoic, like looking out, like remembering, like, this is where the trains used to come in. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have planned that. Oh, man. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Those are the things we love to do, man. And it's a privilege we get to do. Yeah. I mean, it is immortalization. That story will go on now because yeah. you have produced it. Yeah. We filmed, you know, mm-hmm. Jason Heston. Mm-hmm. Jason Heston was the CEO of Kuyu mm-hmm. and committed suicide. Right. And we released his Blood Origins episode three weeks before he died. Crazy with the timing. And, you know, we've got, he was... You know, we filmed another guy for SCI, a guy called Scott Chapman. He was the Hall of Fame recipient for SCI. Mm-hmm. He was normally, he walked around at 240 and he was a six foot three, six foot four guy. Mm-hmm. When we filmed him, he was dying of pancreatic cancer uh-huh. and he was 160 pounds in front of us. And we filmed it. We knew like, this is it. It was either and, now or never. And yeah, yeah, and he knew it was it. Mm-hmm. And so like we finished filming and we said, hey, do you want to say something to your wife? Like... On camera. On camera. Mm-hmm. And we can give it to her. He's like, yeah. And I was bawling. Uh, yeah. There's no way there was a Jesse, my other there. camera was bawling. He was fine. We were just both just, gosh. Losing it. And then we pulled it. To, and then he died four weeks later. Wow. And then we we released the film at the event where he won it. Mm-hmm. And the whole crowd, the entire banquet hall was crying. Yeah. It was the best piece that we had. It was amazing. Done at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're preserving these people's oh, place in history exactly you know? so, exactly and, yeah. and interestingly enough <clears throat> the ge- the keynote speaker of that night was tucker carlson mm-hmm. and tucker got up right after that video played and he was like i've never seen a video like that yeah he's I'm, like and he built his whole, this is tells you how good tucker is he built his entire speech whether he had a predetermined idea of what he was going to say mm-hmm. he changed it to what he heard in that film oh really yeah, and he quoted him. Like uh-huh. he remembered what he said and constantly reiterated it for the 30 minutes of him speaking. You know, it like really affected him. Then. Oh, man. Yeah. It was unbelievable. That's awesome. I mean, I love to hear the great work that you guys do. I've seen, I told you that I was just stalking your website <laughs> the other day. So, I mean, I've, I've seen the content that you guys put out and it's really touching stuff. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, Going back to, you know, you said that you had two sons. Mm. What what are some of the activities? What are some of the things that you do to instill this kind of lifestyle into them? I don't do enough because I travel too much mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they know where their food comes from. Oh, yeah. Like every time we, we cook something, I'll ask them, like, where is that meat? What is that meat that you're eating? And they'll say it's deer or if it's nilgai or if it's whatever. 
And then I'll say, well, where, where, where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Like, you killed it, dad. I was like, yeah, I killed it. And we processed it and, you mm-hmm. know, so that's right now. And then it's just trying to get them into the woods and, you know, having them comfortable shooting guns and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's, but again, I, I do a terrible job of it because I just, I've lost like, because the job that it is, I just don't have the balance right now. And I'll get it. You're working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. I'm working on it. But no, I wish I could do more. And their lives are busy too. You know, they've got scouts and my oldest is in scouts. He loves it. And the littlest one is in gymnastics and he loves that. And, um, yeah, days and weekends are busy and I just got to find the time to, I've got to find the time, which I'm doing now like this. Once I get off this podcast, when I go home from here, <laughs> that's it. Like, I'm not traveling until Jan 10, oh, Jan wow. 11. Oh, wow. That's a great yeah. break. Yeah. So, I've got you a great need break. need that break yeah. for sure. You just hustle all year round. Yeah. So. yeah. so, and then I'll try and disconnect a little bit and see if we can go deer hunting. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you let those notifications stack up a little maybe, bit. Maybe. Maybe. That's not my personality, but <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I you know... I'm I'm doing as much as I can right now in where I'm where I'm at mm-hmm. for them to you know if they want to be hunters great if they don't that's also that's also fine yeah but I don't want them to ever just be like oh we don't like it because we don't like it because I want to have those kinds of conversations with them oh yeah and mm. I mean just giving them the opportunity to decide mm. is important and in, in my opinion and my wife doesn't hunt so yeah she's not a hunter <laughs> she likes the meat but no nah. it's all right. Mm-hmm. Not not every lady is a hunter, and that's, that's fine. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> well, it's great uh, sitting here and chatting with you. Thanks. Yeah, so much man. My, I'm a, I'm humbled and grateful. Thank you for the tour, and um, yeah, thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast. Yeah, hopefully you'll come down to Arkansas and do some public land duck hunting with me sometime. Public land. Public land. Oh man, roughing it. To show you a little bit of pain. Okay, we can do it. We <laughs> yeah, can do it. Definitely. <laughs> There you have it, guys. Wildlife is on the rise. Like, comment, subscribe, and be sure to share this podcast with your hunting or shooting buddies. Be on the lookout for the next episode. You can find us anywhere you can stream podcasts. And for more Remington content, follow us on all social media platforms at Remington1816. If you'd like to see the full interview, you can follow us on YouTube at Remington1816. If you have any questions or have a topic you'd like to talk about, feel free to email us at podcasts at remington.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at Remington.com. Thanks for listening.